0: Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a roundtable conversation about all things pop culture with members of the But Why Though writing staff. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm joined this week by Kate and Jason. Hi! Hello. This week, we're going to be talking about public domain and why, at least as of late, the immediate impulse is to make something that is, like, deeply out of step with the character as soon as something becomes public domain. But first... We wanted to get into the news. One, all three of us in different regions of the country are going through a winter storm. So, uh how's that going for you guys?
1: I'm not built for this. Um but we're on round 3 for trying to hope that our state doesn't kill us. So, we're we're fending pretty well. We got a fireplace now. No trees exploded.
0: That's huge, yeah.
1: Um, so I'm just watching K-drama screeners that I wouldn't have time to watch otherwise cuz yeah.
0: That's perfect. You know what I did with uh with my Saturday, the first day of this is we just did a Lord of the Rings extended edition marathon.
1: Oh, look at that. That's called being productive.
0: Yep, it was like, "Hey, let's just like put on pajamas and go downstairs and just put these on and just this is our day. This is the whole day."
2: <laughs> we were supposed to get our snow tomorrow. But it decided to start yesterday instead. So we were all caught off guard. But I was also out of town and didn't know it started snowing. So I came back to several inches on the ground and not a single drop of salt and just <laughs> slip it away the whole day today. You also had one of
0: my least favorite snow experiences, which is going somewhere when it's fine and then coming outside and it's not fine anymore.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I did not leave my windshield wipers up cuz I didn't expect snow. I did not exactly have my brush readily available.
0: The other we, I didn't think that this was going to be big news. Jason mentioned it and I was like is that a joke? Is that there's 10 new episodes of Bluey?
1: Yes, there is ten and new I, episodes on Bluey. You can stream it on Disney Plus. And, and how do how do we, we know how this? do we know it's
0: a big deal? We yeah, know it's we know?
1: a big deal because the best performing article on our site that we've had for 2024 so far, by a landslide. Like I am talking, like at a ten times rate of anything else that is published is the Bluey news that there is 10 new episodes. And I just want to say, if you and your kids clicked on that to find out whether or not, you know, you can watch new Bluey, you helped get us through a tough ad month. So thank you, kind Bluey viewers. Also, if you're,
2: <laughs> first, if you're hearing this from us first now, and you're a Bluey parent, shame on you. Took you this, <laughs> took you this long to find out about 10 new episodes? Come on keep up and it's (laughs) bluey drop day is a holiday it is
0: forever forever moving forward i feel like for me the reason it seems like such a an interesting thing for that to be doing such big numbers is because it really points to the need for better children's entertainment like every parent that i that i know is like that show is a godsend because i can tolerate it like it's not dumb it does something interesting it actually has some honestly good jokes in it um and it's tolerable, and it's like that's that's more of what we need. And I, you know, I've I've watched what my nephews watch, and sometimes it's fine, and sometimes it's mind numbing. Um. So yeah, seeing that Bluey's doing numbers, uh, is is funny, but also to me points to a very real issue that parents are clamoring for that information.
2: And I'd sure rather have kids in America running around using Australian slang than British slang. So
1: I have no idea what Bluey is, other than that it's a we family of dogs. Video game and there were three different houses in my neighborhood that had bluey cutouts oh and God. one inflatable for hot for, uh, Christmas. So,
0: um, I have seen exactly one scene of bluey and all it's literally, the kids are like, we're going to play doctor with their dad and they walk in and kind of poke him and go to leave. And he's like, wait, that's it. And they're like, yeah, we've done all we can and we have other patients and they walk <laughs> away. That's actually <laughs> really like, funny. <laughs> I was like, that's an incredible joke, and that so that one scene cemented for me why parents like this show. Um, but yeah, so that's the news. Let's get into public domain. Um, I assume you both are a little bit familiar with the, the terms that we'll be using, but laying some groundwork seems like a good idea, yeah? Do it. Cool. Um, so copyright protects a creative work very simply this is a lot of this came from copyright alliance because i was like i don't know how to word this succinctly uh copyright protects a creative work and kind of keeps others from reproducing profiting off of it all that uh trademark protects the brand so that's where like the names the slogans the logos that all comes into play um and then public domain very briefly just means that no one has a copyright to a creative work. Like there is no legal claim over that specific one. Um and the specificity of it is I think kind of like the big part of this conversation. Like, yes, Mickey Mouse is public domain, but like not modern Mickey Mouse, only that version. Um and then it's like, well, what ver you know, what was out there? Was there a poster? And with this one there was, and he has red shorts. So now the red shorts are public domain, but not the gold buttons. Like it's that like nitty gritty like you can go to court for any of it um and then yeah so i mean i guess like from that to the gun-toting elephant in the room steamboat willy is now public domain something that disney I, well disney was not fighting to protect just steamboat willy every time it lobbied for copyright law extensions but like that was kind of one of the big things because steamboat Willie was supposed to be public domain in 1955 um and then they got it pushed back and then they got it pushed back and then they finally couldn't swing another one and so now it's public domain in 2024 um but it is just that specific cartoon and i, I think a couple of other things like the poster um and we are getting three projects we're getting uh an fps we are getting two horror movies
1: projects is doing a lot of work in that sentence <laughs> it,
0: it is um but yeah so people immediately were like all right give him a gun and have him kill people so there is a part of me that's wondering, like, do you guys feel like this is a trend? Because we also got Winnie the Pooh last year.
1: I think, and I, I have not a lot to say about this. I was just very intrigued to hear what others had to say about it. I think my thing is that we are past, we we are not a generation that knows how to make transgressive things well. Because we don't understand what we're transgressing. And mm. I think that people just want to shock. And that is the lowest hanging fruit. So I do think it's a trend that as stuff comes out that we're like... were childhoods or attached, blah, blah, blah. Like somebody's going to come out and try to be transgressive mm. and edgy. And yeah. like that is just like the natural place that it goes. I think what is interesting is that I... I would like to see what it was like, and, and I know that this is just a very hard comparison because the world is a very different place right now, yeah. but when you look at, like, a lot of the fairy tales and stuff like that that are public yeah. domain that people can use and adapt and make however they want, like, there is a wide range of things. Like, I own an entire book that is just, like, fairy tales as erotica. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It's by Francesca Leah Block. But I digress. Like, there are things that have been done historically with, like... St- Fiction in the yeah. public domain and you can take it different ways, make it different things. I think Frankenstein's another example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but because this is a brand new thing, I feel like right out the gate, people are like, what can be the most shocking?
0: Okay, the so it's way? it's less about desecrating an idol and more about getting attention. And Yes. You oh, know. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's 2024. That's all these people care about.
2: They're not desecrating an idol because they think that it's witty or intelligent they're doing it because it's easy and it's memeable and uh, i mean i was thinking in my head like man who's in charge of the world right now well gen xers are kind of starting to finally overtake a lot Mm -hmm. of the boomers because they're all dying but gen xers are politically so stupid but then like Millennials are actually not really much politically smarter at all, and uh, God only knows if the Zoomers will be any better than us, but, like— No! If, the
1: Zoomers lack <laughs> like any and all media literacy.
2: Right. and So, like, well, you know, when we were the—when when Millennials were the age that Zoomers are now, we all thought Millennials were going to save the world, and turns out we were so wrong. So maybe the Zoomers yep. actually are going to, like— Evolve no, 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 into no, no, the no, no, greatest. No. Generation. I don't think we were
1: wrong. I just think that people assume the boomers would have let go of power by doing something other than just dying in office.
2: <laughs> that too.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> the the lack of resource.
2: Um but yeah, it's definitely just a convenience and you the specific question you asked is is this a trend? A trend, I feel like, you know, can't define it until we've seen it more than just twice, but it's definitely chasing the potential of a trend to be doing Mm -hmm. the Steamboat Willie version of Pooh, Blood and Honey because people saw that it was a great meme for like six seconds and then it was surprisingly successful in the box office because it was a Mm -hmm. good meme for two seconds and so people are chasing a like an easy format that they can follow because we also are that makes sense. generations that completely lack any kind of creativity. So yep. there's, there's, there's no new idea.
0: I did see with the, the Mickey mouse one of like, in terms of like, it's just an easy, quick thing to do. Somebody uploaded just steamboat Willie on YouTube in its entirety and yeah. monetized it. And it was like, that's, that's my big play here.
1: I will say what I am excited for entering public domain is not, Steamboat Willie, but the film Metropolis has entered public domain. I was going to say, and I need somebody to do something cool there. But even then, like I do think that like this is part of a larger conversation. So I went out and I pulled up things that go into public domain this year in fiction. Mm -hmm. So Metropolis is one of them. Colorado of Space from H.P. Lovecraft is another one. Mm -hmm. uh Chicago, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Wings, Tarzan the Golden Lion, The Jazz Singer um like there there are some like big things
2: there's a lot of cool stuff
1: and like big literary things
2: i want to make a jazz singer pastiche
1: yeah like yeah. this is the thing like this is all like really intelligently like in in i won't call everything that i just listened intelligently written fiction but i will call them things that have been talked about intelligently for years as literature but mm-hmm. we're not here having this conversation about that or like any of these like other like these larger properties that by and large, I would say, has more impact than just Steamboat Williams. Oh, and yeah. Mouse. Um, and I do think that there is like that is kind of the largest thing in that people want the quick fix of shocking something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I and I do. And I think they want the notoriety of.
0: Being the ones who made it happen or. Yeah.
1: And I don't want to say because like I I I don't feel like we have any real transgressive artists right now from our generation doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know that that sounds really crappy to say, but I do think that like there is a specific type of understanding that has like you have to understand exactly what idol you are burning Mm -hmm. in order to do something intelligently. And I think a lot of what we've seen in satire, pastiche, parody, all of those things that have happened, it's not really interestingly or intelligently embracing things enough to understand what they're pushing back against. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the trend is like, or it is going to become a trend where it is like, this is the easiest of things that I can adapt and change mm-hmm. than anything else. But I don't think anybody cares about interesting anymore. I think yeah. people just want the rage clicks, the hate watches, the like Jason said, the memification of things. And it's actually kind of sad when you look at it from like an art perspective. Like I, Oh just...
0: yeah. I was trying to think of what, you know, what would you do with Steamboat Willie to make something more meaningful? And I feel like, th- I mean, this admittedly would probably be too meta and weird to like actually do, but just something to the effect of a character finally being let free and realizing that the world moved on without them and that they were like manipulated, controlled, evolved with zero input. Like that Disney was like, no one can touch this. No one can touch our version of this. Like we're going to take mm-hmm. stories that aren't ours and we're going to claim, like you would, you could do actually a pretty good commentary on copyright law and The way that it's been manipulated for corporate profit rather than for its original intent, which is to protect the artist.
2: Look, you want to be really transgressive. Somebody that was a good, thoughtful, intelligent artist could make a Steamboat Willie that's all about it being a minstrel show, like, which is what a lot of people claim, you know pretty reasonably though can't say with yeah, total certainty that that's yeah. what it was meant to be in the first place like there's a lot of ways you can <laughs> well, do something Walt creative Disney was a racist right exactly, exactly. Oh, so yeah. it's like pretty pretty reasonable that that's what the intention could have been i think that maybe part of it too is like yes we've been trained to want to consume the easiest and fastest most efficient versions mm-hmm. of things and the least intelligent I kind of, maybe this is controversial of me to say. You can tell me that I'm an, a dumb man, but, like, even some of the most quote-unquote transgressive art being made currently, at least that's what I hear people call it, think about poor things and how it's very good.
1: Poor things was not transgressive. It was really good, but it wasn't transgressive.
2: At all. Like, it's, it's good, and it's got a lot of things that we don't see in movies right now. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's probably got some of the most vivid depictions of a popular movie star having sex in a movie, right that we've seen in a long time. But like beyond that, it is a movie made by a bunch of men about feminism, and it's like really not all that all that deep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good movie, and so it's cool. right.
1: But... So the one thing I will say to push back, so I agree and disagree. I think that there are a lot of smart things that are done because Emma Stone was executive producer on the film when it comes to representing Bella Baxter's like thing. So I think that it is kind of Mm. shitty to just say to just say this is a bunch of men and therefore it doesn't do anything good um, or like different. I do agree that it just presents an arc that we all understand and know, but it shows us that arc in a visceral way. But showing something as it is, which is like Bella Baxter's entire journey is just showing things as it is within somebody's head as they're learning their sexuality, as they're like, they do it in a funny way. They do it in a kitschy way.
2: They do it in a way we don't see in other movies. Exactly. But that doesn't make it transgressive. (laughs)
1: exactly because they're just showing you what we know transgressive would be taking something flipping it on its head and presenting commentary as to why you are doing that
2: right like just because it's one of the best depictions of that kind of character we've seen in a long time
1: transgressive yeah
2: because emma stone's really smart and good at that doesn't yeah it doesn't make it for (laughs) transgressive like it's not the same thing and so like i think that all of that is what we've been, been trained to to see and say in our mm-hmm. media of late. But it's also, I, I think a part of it is actually there are lots of really smart and creative transgressive artists. They just absolutely have no platform or ability to mm-hmm. have their art shared because yeah. there's yeah. no oxygen for it in the media landscape and because there's no... Uh, there's no PR people that want to take on that kind of labor. There's no PR people that would know how to take on that kind of labor. Yeah. There's no, you know, distributors, companies, venture capitalists, et cetera, that mm-hmm. want to take those kind of risks, even if they could understand the, <laughs> the content, oh, yeah. which they probably couldn't in the first place because they're all, uh, you know, simple minded venture capitalists.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think that there's also like, There is a misunderstanding with transgression as simply making you uncomfortable, but that's Mm -hmm. not what something that, like, that is a byproduct of a transgressive piece of art, but it's not like you can be uncomfortable and have it not be transgressive and i think that that's like the larger thing even when i think about something like uh crimes of the future or like infinity pool like those weren't transgressive pieces of art but still uncomfortable body horror uncomfortable films to watch but they had like a meaning that was well within like understanding they just chose to do it like with like bodies but that doesn't make it transgressive it's not pushing or cutting any boundaries.
2: I'm like truly thinking about what is something I've seen anytime recently that is even close to transgressive and even like all of the many many short films or or small production films I watch for Outfest every year it's like most of those Aren't what I'd call transgressive either. Even the ones that are the most unique and the stories that are not told often, they're not saying something mm-hmm. that that community isn't already perfectly already aware of. They're not pushing a boundary even within that space necessarily. There are maybe a few that I I yeah. either go over my head or that I haven't seen. I'm I'm sure there's a little bit of that in those yeah. spaces, but mm-hmm. on the whole, like even in the more quote unquote fringe art spaces, like popular. Public art spaces, you not we're you're just not seeing the the opportunity for it. Because I, I I bet you that there's people out there trying to make that are that think what they're doing could get there, but they maybe they just don't have the funding to make the mm-hmm. project look and feel the way they want to in the end, or they they don't have the yeah. the time to be able to dedicate to it because they're on a crunch of this is when I have to finish it by, and and so or you know getting studio notes, etc. So I. I think that back to like the Steamboat Willie specifically of it. Even if someone had a really great creative idea for how to make a a transgressive Steamboat Willie, anything, the only place mm-hmm. it's gonna find itself mm-hmm. more likely than not is on Ao3 or somewhere that you yeah. like some, which is a valid place for it to go. Yep. But like that's not a widely available public place the way that. A video game that gets mm-hmm. memes can be, or the way that a horror movie with some yeah. kind of backing of like a, a maybe well-known person can can provide, and that's oh yeah, I mean, a shame. The,
0: the video game, like you need one week of success on Twitch to just you know get a million people to buy it to try it out, and then you're done, you're good, you made your money. it you know you did, like you like you can. It's, it's a much quicker in-out, and I feel like a lot of these projects, that's what they're maybe looking for more than anything, is, like, they're not trying to reinvent this character and do something long-term. It's just, like, let's grab the moment, um, which is, is frustrating, because I was trying to think through adaptations I've seen that genuinely put, because, I mean, there, there's, like, the adaptations that are from, like, Muppet Christmas Carol. Where it's like, yep, this is just taking a public domain story, telling it pretty by the books. But then you have weird stuff like did you guys ever watch Sci Fi Channel's Tin Man?
1: With Zoe Deschanel?
0: Yeah, it's uh, Zoe Deschanel and the guy whose name I forget, but he plays Dum Dum Dugan in the MCU. But the idea is it's a complete retelling of The Wizard of Oz. Um,
2: I always forget that guy's name, he's in everything.
0: It's going to kill me that I don't know it. But yeah, it's it's just a retelling of Wizard of Oz, but not quite because it doesn't really follow it exactly and it's this like weird is it, I mean, is it steampunky or is it just weird? I'm trying to think of how to describe it.
1: It's just weird. It's just yeah. weird.
0: Cuz it's like the Tin Man is because is like a title that he has be or cuz he's a cop, it's like similar to the term copper is like, "Oh, you have a badge, like you're a Tin Man." The scarecrow is like a former advisor to the royal family who had his brain like partially removed or something like it's a really weird adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. Um, And I don't know that I'm like, this is an amazing, perfect piece of art, but I'm fascinated by the swings that they took with it.
1: So two things. One, I think the most transgressive movie or story that I've seen was actually Cobweb. That's directed by um, Kim Ji-won. He did I Saw the Devil, Tale of Two Sisters. And that is just because it is a film about being a filmmaker and making movies that presents it as something glorious in the beginning and then unpacks on all the ways that directors are really just unhinged, vile creatures and the filmmaking industry should be stopped, which is a really interesting thing. Um, It was really good. It It skewers the idea of an art tour. But then, like, when I think about, like, how somebody does that, how you transgress on me, how you do something mm-hmm. unique and different and weird is, like, you either have to play with an idea, like, in, like, the auteur, which is what cobweb does. Or you have to play with, I think, a lot of these public domain stories that are based on clear, like, archety- ar- archetypal journeys mm-hmm. And have set some of those boundaries. And the reason I say that is because it allows you to do different things. The number of different ways that Alice in Wonderland has been adapted throughout time. As everything from like the really crappy version that Tim Burton did. To like Maniac McGee's Alice uh, the video game. To Alice in Borderland which really just like that just took concepts. And you wouldn't spot Alice other than through the name. Uh, that's a Japanese, like, thing. Like,
2: we, of course, can't forget about Once Upon a Time in Wonderland too, the ABC classic. Oh, oh
1: yes. Man. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. I watched every episode <laughs> of, course. of that. It was great. I loved it. But Yeah, I loved but, like, yeah because, and, and I think that, like, that is where you're, where something hitting public domain has a long-lasting impact. I do not think Winnie the Pooh coming into public domain or seeing Willie or any other of Disney's gaggle of characters when they eventually do hit are going to do anything because ultimately those characters don't mean anything. Those mm-hmm. characters don't within themselves hold enough impact or storytelling material to really like draw something unique and interesting. You know, the Wizard of Oz has been done so many times. And he like said Tin Man, like it. it's there's just. Yeah, I don't know if any of that made sense. But like, I just don't think we can get there, and yeah. I don't think within any real thing that there's any way for somebody to like see something like this hit public domain. And now I'm kind of like talking myself back on like what my original like assertion was: was like these people are just creativeless. I think that there's just not much you can do because I don't think anybody. Well, can uh, make yeah, a I new was going to ask about Winnie that.
0: the Pooh story for kids or. It's yeah, it's a combination of there's not quite enough because Steam Mobile is like what seven minutes of material to work with. Mm-hmm. And then I mean, whatever you want to add to it, that's not something Disney has already done. You can't give him a duck best friend and a dog best, like you know, that's they'll come down on you for that. Um mm-hmm. so it's like it's that mixed with say you do write a completely original Winnie the Pooh story like now you have to have a legal team go through it bit by bit and be like, is Disney going to come after us for this? Or can we publish it or can we publish it? But they're going to come after us anyway and waste our time in court. And I feel like like the litigiousness of copyright holders is also maybe something that's holding this back. Cause I feel like just the concept of Winnie the Pooh from the, I think now the first two books are public domain. Cause Tigger is also in public domain this year. Yeah. Um. Like there's probably enough that you could write a new original story if you wanted to, but I mean, well also, is there going to be money in that or are, is, does it need to come from Disney for there to be money in it?
2: I think there's a difference between these two different properties between Winnie the Pooh and, and Mickey because Steamboat Willie is a fully original Disney property that only exists within its own context where Winnie the Pooh was written by a different author, by a. A. O. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Then Disney made their version of it. So like, yeah. Doing a a spin-off of Steamboat Willie, we, there's only that one example of what Steamboat Willie is, whereas Winnie the Pooh yeah. is two entire books of short little mini stories that a lot of the Disney adaptations are all even based off of in the first place. So it I could very well see actually somebody can just create a new story about Pooh and his friends that would be totally in the clear pretty relatively easily as long as they don't yep. use the red shirt or a story that the that Disney did themselves. But like, there's a whole world in those books that you could easily set with something within. You can create new characters, you can you can create a new silly little thing that Eeyore did that has never been done before and you've got yourself a story. Whether it's commercially viable is a whole other question, oh, but yeah. I yeah. think like, that's something that is. There's a lot to build off of, where Steamboat Willie just whistles yep. and runs away from Pete.
0: <laughs> this I don't remember what you said that put me off on this, but do you guys know about the Sherlock Holmes lawsuit around the Enola Holmes movie? No. Um, the Sherlock the 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 Arthur Conan Doyle estate argued, uh, and this is from an article in the Guardian, uh, that more or less. Sherlock is not a la- the only, un- the only not protected works are the ones where he doesn't have emotions <laughs> that like his character, like if he has emotions or certain character traits that's protected under copyright because of these 10 stories written between 1923 and 1927. So it's like, that's how specific they can get with it. Um, the the estate argued that Holmes was previously depicted as quote aloof and unemotional, but when the author lost his son during World War One, his four brothers, and his brother four months later, it was no longer enough for Holmes to be brilliant and rational and analytical. He needed to be human, and that's when they started adding in like these other characteristics. So apparently, Anola Holmes had like a little bit of a lawsuit or or something because their depiction of Sherlock Holmes had emotions. <laughs>
1: That is so interesting. Has there
0: been a conclusion to
2: the saga yet?
0: That is a good question. Uh, Dismissed with prejudice uh, by stipulation of all parties. So it was probably settled, but it's not public.
2: Interesting. Yeah, well, because this is like part of what makes the Steamboat Willie case all the more complicated, right? Oh, yeah. If you make anything that is based on Mickey Mouse that isn't exactly the way that the personality of this character was designed in this seven minute short Disney might we don't know for sure because there hasn't been enough case law around it but like they might have the ability to say that that is uh, a no-go because even if you drew Mm -hmm. the character looking like Steamboat Willie's version or or didn't look like any version that exists they could say well you know Mickey uh, has this doesn't have this characteristic until Mickey and the Beanstalk so that actually is not not a uh, public domain oh, yeah. which maybe you, they would not be able voice, to get away with high, we don't know for sure sh- yeah like we don't know for sure that that would be the case and none of us are lawyers yeah. so who, yeah. but like i think a piece a big piece of it is I, one of you said like it just would require lawyers to spend a lot of time and thus it would require creators a lot of money to even explore the potential of publishing something, let alone the likelihood of an automatic lawsuit. Anyway, yeah, which is why another reason I think that the like make it violent is such a quick thing to go to is that mm-hmm. none of the depictions of these characters have been outrageously violent or sexual.
0: That's fair. and so. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just that it's so defensible?
2: Yeah, like if you do that, it is almost impossible to say that this is protected because-
1: yeah. I made Winnie the Pooh a slasher.
2: Winnie Show the Pooh is never a yeah. slasher. Exactly.
1: Therefore, this is
0: completely original.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's the easiest fair. way is to be extreme yeah. about it where anything in between is a little more complicated.
0: His shirt is red, but it's stained with blood.
1: (laughs) And it's also really weird, too, which is something that I'm I'm kind of interested from, like, a larger perspective, is, like, do you all even consider, like, some of these copyright pushes adaptations of work, really? Like, actual adaptations, because, like... Yeah. Do you all want me to explain why I have this question, or...?
2: Uh, yeah, go for it. I know, I I think I do know what you mean, but explain it in your own words anyway.
1: Okay, yeah, so I am somebody who actually really loves adaptations, especially coming from, like, the anime and manga world, Same. where I think the existence of something in a different medium can sometimes make that story better and or different and mm-hmm. accompany the original and, like, enhance it. Um, And so, like, when I look at adaptation, I think that the ability to do an adaptation well is to understand the core purpose, or the an adaptation not just well but like an adaptation is understand the core purpose of something and then adapt it into a new medium or new story while still keeping the core of something else do you think (laughs) that these are adaptations and if they aren't which I I obviously from that line of what I just said don't think they are like what what are they called like what is it when you just take something and
0: do something with it I don't know I mean uh... (laughs) yeah I, Cause yeah it, like, There's not really a word for like An original work with an existing character That is third party It's unofficial I mean is it like Are these legal bootlegs? Is that what it is?
2: That was the other word I was like, used
1: to. But even bootlegging Like you're trying to keep the essence That's true, of the yeah.
0: original So when someone's like Yeah no we're throwing all that out, out the window Like it doesn't matter anymore He's got a gun now
2: I, um, I think that it's, it's adaptation just simply because, like, it is literally taking something and trying to turn it into something else, even if it lacks yeah. artistic merit, um, which, I don't know, hmm. I, maybe, some, maybe some of these folks really believe in their project and they're trying to be as artistic about it as possible. I don't want to cast aspersions, but I, I, I think that your greater point of, like, is this really adding anything... Is obviously true, but I don't think I need another word for it necessarily unless I want to be as being sarcastic, which it deserves to be sarcastic about.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's it is its own weird category, because I think when I was trying to look through this historically, a lot of public domain stuff, it just gets adaptations like it doesn't you know, people aren't like writing brand new stories necessarily for these characters. They're just kind of finding new ways to tell old ones. And this, like, I don't want to say it's an original creative work because, I mean, even if it is, it, you know, we've talked about it, it feels kind of lazy, cash grabby of the moment. Um, right. Yeah, as as, I, I just don't know how to categorize that.
2: Right. I was gonna say another word is certainly cash grab, and the example that comes to mind right now too is like, what is a Marvel movie if not an adaptation? And what have Marvel movies mm-hmm. become if not cash grabs? Like, they yeah. may they may be started even as- if they're official many of them certainly started as like truly they were trying to make art. They were trying to make good movies that had good actors Mm -hmm. and good points to them. Do they succeed all the time? Maybe not necessarily even in some of their best attempts, but like it was, it's still adaptation. It's still turning one medium into another and honestly pretty successfully, especially in the beginning. So like Mm -hmm. it's, uh, or even before the MCU, like all of that is certainly people trying to take a medium they loved and turn it into another medium they love. Even if a lot of it is still cash grabs nowadays. Yeah. How do you feel about,
0: I guess when I feel like, or can you think of examples where this has actually been done earnestly and honestly and effectively? Like the one that comes to mind for me is Lies of P where it was like, we're going to make a steampunk Pinocchio. It's an original story with familiar characters Um, it's not cashing in on some moment of like, oh, everyone's aware that we can do this now. It was like, they just did it. And so, yeah, like, are there other examples of that?
2: Well, and I'll I'll add another question to that question too of like, when Kate, you mentioned cobweb earlier, like, is that an American production? Is this largely an American production problem? Or are we seeing this... Creative. Technically,
1: both things that have been mentioned are Korean, because Cobweb's Korean, and then Liza P is from a Korean right, studio like, as well.
2: Is this an American problem, or are are we seeing creativity in the world of adaptation and IP and even yeah. potentially public domain from outside of the U.S.? Because I, I was thinking about it when you were talking about Cobweb especially. I was like, oh yeah, I just watched... All 15 – well, 14 of the 15 international best uh, – the whatever the category is called. Just watched 14 of the 15 best international feature submissions for the Oscars for this year. And, like, I would call at least – two of them if not three of them I'd have to think a little harder like actually yeah this is transgressive because this is a documentary that's a really creative style and about something that is frankly like you you should not talk about this in this society but they are doing it anyway and like doing it in a really creative artistic way too not just doing it in a like I'm talking to a camera way um yeah. which would also be valid and probably transgressive on its own but like at least two of the the documentary submissions I would totally call transgressive and like artistic um, four daughters and mother of all lies are definitely in that, in that category, mm-hmm. but they're very much not American productions.
0: Man. I hadn't thought about the international, <laughs> international
2: angle. They're also not adaptations, no. but just like we were talking about the transgressiveness generally yeah. earlier. And I, I, I was like, Oh wait, no, actually I've seen plenty of transgressive stuff recently. It's just, it's just cause I'm was specifically thinking about American or, or, uh, you know, Western, european english american yeah. stuff
1: well i even think about like i think some of my favorite fairy tale adaptations have been anime um or k-dramas to be honest yeah um or i guess webtoons would be the first thing but like i i, I do agree like i think that and i think we've said it i know i've said it a lot across different podcasts or whatever's i actually don't I, I i do not think that american media is in a particularly good state whether it's because we are not funding it in as in we are not paying the mm-hmm. people who are creating it and therefore is creating like issues there or are the conglomerates have just been eating it up to a point where like nothing nothing is new like even just like the new video like all of, I think every single one of the Game of the Year, like, award nominees were all sequels and or remakes.
2: I just heard a statistic on another podcast the other day about how this is, like, 2024 is going to be one of the worst years for wide movie releases in a really long time, excluding, obviously, like, the peak pandemic years, because yeah. there's just creative bankruptcy and and financial inability unwillingness to fund projects and there so there's yeah. like there are several entire weekends throughout the whole year that don't have a single wide release on those dates oh, wow. <laughs> like it's it's one of the lowest number years in a long time from what i have gathered and yeah cuz like we're just not we're not in a great state in uh american produced creative art stuff
1: no we're not we're really not it's It's a shame and I think that one of the other things that's also doing that is because we we have these companies that are refusing to pay people to do to do things. But what they have realized is that like Americans do want to consume international content and watch international content and engage with international content because that content is good. And I think delivering on a level of production value and intelligence and even just like fun that we're not getting here. Um, If you look at like the large spend and I'm talking billions, like it it was an over, I think it was like a $2 billion contract that Netflix signed with Korean studios to get access to their simulcast rights on Netflix Um, or the fact that Netflix is now simulcasting one piece. Like I think that there has been a big push, but I think to the detriment, let me rephrase that. I think we have access to international stuff
0: because
1: Mm -hmm. there is a, it is to the detriment of us created things because us creative things have been devalued from like every rung um hmm. in like a pretty sad fashion. And it's
2: easy to it's easy to point at the pandemic or the strikes or whatever and say that these are the reasons why we're not seeing stuff right now, but this was a problem before all of that. Those are just things that made it all happen faster. Just accelerated the situation yes. that we're in right now yeah. even more so than it was it was already a decline in quality before the pandemic, before labor issues like yeah
0: man yeah now i just have to sit with some sad realities hey there's it's
2: lots but of good, mean, lots all, of good stuff good being made other places there <laughs> it's is not yeah. all that inaccessible do you guys do you have
0: favorite not even necessarily new but do you have favorite adaptations or not adaptations but like reworkings and reimaginings of things that you appreciate
1: I think Liza P. genuinely like I okay. yeah. I was pretty worn out on Pinocchio but um, I, I think that uh, Guillermo de Toros Pinocchio was really, really interesting in, in ways that I didn't think I didn't think it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I think so far, something that I've never seen before, I think Liza P. Uh, which for those of you who don't know, is new newest published uh, game that came out last year where um, it's a Souls-like and you're going through a city of Kraut as Pinocchio or P. Um, And there are really cool and interesting ways in which you encounter different um, conflicts within the Pinocchio story Mm -hmm. uh, and how it's adapted that I think is just really smart and unique and stands on its own. Um, Yeah, I also think... I I mentioned it earlier as a joke, but uh francesca leah block's book i think it's called the rose and the beast like mm-hmm. it is it's not like pure erotica like it's more fantasy and everything it's just like an ma book but like all of those stories like retell different types of fairy tales in a way that engages with them in like a somebody is coming to is like coming into their sexuality in a way that's really interesting, from like Beauty and the Beast to like Bluebeard and like like all like all of this stuff in like really interesting ways. That I actually think that was the first time I read adaptations hmm. of like these fairy tale stories that I knew a lot about in a way that I thought was unique, different, and made me think about the relationships in those stories in a different way. So I, I mentioned it as a joke earlier, but I will actually yeah. count that as one of my favorite, like adapt like,
0: no, that's fair. I mean, that's it, it forced you to engage it something. in a new yeah. way and got you in and got you to engage like that. That to me seems like worthwhile.
2: I, I've definitely talked about this a lot. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast specifically. I've written about it on the website, talk about it in discord a bunch. Like I love adaptation specifically also because it's familiar. You don't have to reacquaint yourself with or you don't have to newly acquaint yourself with a whole new set of characters or morals or mm-hmm. like I mean yes, sometimes there are those things, but it's usually you're like changing an element not the creating something entirely new. So it's easy to go into an adaptation, I find at least because I'm already familiar with some aspect mm-hmm. or another and so I often find a lot of comfort in watching things that are adaptation, especially adaptations of things I'm familiar with. Um, a huge one that I honestly I haven't seen the, the show on Disney yet because I don't watch TV much and I will probably just mm-hmm. wait till it's finished. But like the Percy Jackson books I've read. Oh, yeah. Many of. And I would not only call them excellent adaptations because they're just like genuinely good books rick riordan's a just a good author and also i would actually call especially some of the later series that he wrote like genuinely transgressive as adaptations because not only is he willing to listen to critics and like social critics who have called out like hey like I love these books, but this depiction of this type of person is not really feeling great. Would you think about doing it differently? And he listens and does. Um, But like Mm -hmm. by the time you get to, I think it was the early 2010s when these books came out, you have um, his adaptation of Norse mythology in a three book trilogy, uh, Magnus Chase, where the series is literally about a guy who meets a basically magical trans version of Loki, who like it's not a, a one-to-one version of like what a human being would be as a trans person, but like meets, meets a trans Loki and they end up falling in love by the end of the series. They're like the two main characters of this series, not to be spoilers about it, but sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm going to. Like that, that's not a thing that happens in wildly popular YA or middle grade, whatever mm-hmm. they're technically books. Like, and yeah. the, this is someone who actually like genuinely uses the platform he has as a very popular and commercially successful author who is literally published under Disney Hyperion like to do things that are transgressive in that space you you do not have those kind of depictions in that kind of literature
0: mm-hmm.
2: and especially not in things that are like popular adaptations and so um those those are books that i wildly respect and also enjoy the other example honestly like of something right now wonka incredible loved it saw it twice loved it even more the second time i think that it's a really great way of doing adaptation where you're hiring someone who's actually a creative first of all he the director made the paddington movies I'm going to pretend that the second one isn't about prisons because I learned that recently and hated it. But uh, aside the point, (laughs) I'm going to cut that, but I just had to say it. Um, They hire a creative person to do these movies. Like It's not just uh, we're going to make something that is a cash grab. They genuinely like this is someone who really has a passion for making children's movies and children's adaptations. And they said, we actually don't care what – Gene Wilder did. We don't care what mm-hmm. the books are, frankly. We are doing what we see Wonka to be as a character in our version of in our imagination, in the public imagination kind of in a lot of ways, frankly. And just we're we're running with that and making our version of it and and they I think we're really successful in that. Is the movie perfect? Of course not. But like is it a really nice, refreshing version of doing something that's adaptation something that's ip because mm-hmm. it's it's not just like we got to we had to make a origin story for Willy Wonka that's about this specific thing that we all loved about that movie yeah. like it's it's not that there's a lot of references if you catch them but it's not like we're gonna make Gene Wilder but he's young it's just this is our version yeah. and this is what we're doing and I think that's a really like hmm that's, that's what adaptation can and should be in a lot of ways.
1: I just realized that Sailor Moon is technically an adaptation. Oh. uh, So it is an adaptation. I had to look it up. But it's an adaptation of a Greek tale, um, and uh, Endymion and Selene, where essentially the moon goddess falls in love with a humid shepherd
0: mm-hmm.
1: named Endymion. And that is essentially what happens in Sailor Moon, because Sailor Moon is... The queen of the moon and then she falls in love with a human who is also named endymion and her name was serena in the english version um so yes that is technically an adaptation like i i had to look it up because yeah. i remember i saw a tweet about it and i didn't, I didn't really grasp but like I, I think that there is a lot on the long line of history and creation of fiction there are very few original ideas and that doesn't make them bad. It just means that when mm-hmm. you look at the way that we look at inspirations and take them, that 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 differentiation and what you can bring to it I think is really important. Um, mm-hmm. MAPPA, regardless of how they grind their animators into the ground, uh, does a phenomenal job of adapting manga into anime by taking focuses... On not necessarily the intent of the author, but on characters that the animators really love. Mm. Um, if you watch Chainsaw Man, there is so much more Aki, who is one of the characters in there, in a more thoughtful and intimate light than what we get from Fujimoto's white writing in um in the manga. And I mm. think that like hearing you talk about Waka Jason, like genuinely made me think that like I think that's what makes good adaptations or good building on stories because you're coming at it from a very specific lens i want to do this thing with this piece of media and i think that when you take it like that with intent while also understanding where like what are the important bits you're taking from it? It can be something really beautiful. and I think mm-hmm. like that does justify its existence, which I think now and now, in' a, like a proliferated like thing where like everything has an adaptation, everything has a remake, everything has a this or that. I think like that intent can really separate it
2: right, um, yeah. Well, and like, a lot of people who have criticized Wonka are one of the criticisms is like, well, The character in the books, even, let alone the two other adaptations, is a cranky guy who is kind of a jerk. And, like, sure, that's that's true. That is what the original source may have been and what the adaptations we've seen before. I've always
1: seen Wonka as a villain.
2: Sure, yeah, like, that is that is true. He
1: has slaves.
2: Also, (laughs) very true. Yeah, quite literally. Like, (laughs) this is all true. But also, like, in a lot of the popular imagination and clearly the imagination of the people who made Wonka, like, actually, maybe he's just a silly, weird guy who likes to make chocolate and spread joy, <laughs> and like that's yeah. just basically they decided this is the version that we want to that we see this character as being, and ran with it, and that's why it it works because yeah. they they weren't trying to yeah. like do something because they had to they were doing it because that's what they wanted to do, and and that's rare mm-hmm. in media period these days let alone adaptation work to get to just do what you want to do and not what you feel like you have to do or what you're told you have to do so Mm -hmm. i'm sure there were seven million studio notes that they got it's not like it wasn't a warner brothers movie but it feels like a rare example of where it got to just be its own thing in a lot of ways
0: i was gonna say i commend them for making something knowing that people will complain that it wasn't more of the same like yeah. I feel like that's a really hard move to make and like hell yeah, do it. Yeah. Um I think my adaptations, um, one, I love a good stealth Shakespeare. Um oh, everything from yeah. uh there so my the top three, I think for me, I mean Lion King's just always fun, but specifically what I love is Lion King one and a half, which is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead.
2: Quick before as an animated the anime's come
0: it's so good uh and then um 10 things i hate about you and yeah. um uh, forbidden planet those are probably my top three
1: forbidden planet
0: as the tempest
1: Shakespeare- oh yeah! it's
0: it's okay. not actually like officially credited anywhere but it's like a pretty popular reading is like yeah. this is the tempest in space <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so there's that um i i haven't read it in years so i don't know that i can say that it's actually good but um I have this little novella called Jacob Marley's Christmas Carol. And it's the story of a Christmas Carol from his perspective. And the whole thing is that he basically is told, if you don't turn Scrooge, like you're going to go to hell. And so he makes up the the ghosts. Like it's all a farce and it's all him. (laughs) Like using his abilities as like a ghost to shape shift and pretend to be these different things and try to show his friend the error of his ways and i was like honestly that's like to me that's a pretty fun one um and then i am completely blanking on what my third one was um but yeah i just the the good stealth shakespeare ones i always love and always you know boslerman's romeo and juliet that's pinnacle
1: that is pinnacle it really that is, is that is that is pinnacle because he he it it's it yeah that that is like the height for me i know the parts of Romeo and Juliet, I know by heart, is because I memorized
0: it from <laughs> that film.
2: Isn't Romeo and Juliet itself more or less an adaptation of a Greek myth too? Basically, yeah. yeah. Like,
0: oh, that reminds me of <laughs> me of what my third one was. Um, have you guys? I don't. You are either of you big musical people at all? In amount, okay. The
1: ones that I love, I love, but I don't seek much outside them.
0: Um, Hades Town is the story of oh. Orpheus and Eurydice with also like a weird, like climate change commentary running through and like anti-industrialism. But the music is incredible. Like it rules. Um, I saw it live. The stage production is really, really good um, and does a lot of really interesting things. But yeah, it's just like, this is a great adaptation of a Greek myth. (laughs)
1: I am so dumb. The amount of things I am currently consuming, no, not Hades, (laughs) the amount of things I am currently going out of my way to find and track down the different ways people have reimagined Hades and Persephone is like unhealthy. Like it is an unhealthy obsession that I have. But we keep doing it. Every other millennial woman currently has right now after Lore Olympus, like I'm just (laughs) seeking it out. From, like, the deeply violent and unsettling that isn't a romance at all to, like, the deeply romantic. um, Yeah. No. I Okay. I would say, if I think back to, like, takes on stories, and I get they're yep. all public domain, like, obviously. to bring this back to what we're talking about. Um, and I think to showcase the beauty of what having things in public domain and having people iterate on ideas, The Fall of Man is a story I love seeing redone. Um, I'm I'm watching has been hotel currently, um, which has its own take on that. Hades and Persephone's or any doomed lover like thing mm-hmm. I will take in any <laughs> any way, shape, or form. Because I'm a glutton for punishment and yearning. Um And I think ultimately, like I think that there is something really interesting about the periphery characters mm. so you mentioned like Rosencrantz and Dil- Gillespie are dead and like uh, Lion King that and in and, and, have, and like, of I itself is a good one yeah yeah like that is that is I watched it in like high school English and it is one of my favorite things like I, I think that being able to tap into periphery characters and build out stories within worlds is something that's really exciting and different and new Um and yeah I I, I yeah. The only thing I would ask is that people, when they start remaking fairy tales and remaking folk tales, that they please stop just using the same ones, and can we please get more culturally diverse in the things that yep. we are adapting now?
0: Oh,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> that is my only thing.
2: There, like, there are so many. I will say, though, I'll take a new adaptation of Carmen any day. It's become my favorite thing now. <laughs> And they're...
1: Would you like to inform the class of why <laughs> oh, yeah. and where they can read your magnum opus? Oh, sure.
2: I've, I've talked about it on the podcast a few times, I'm sure. But, you know, last, last year when Paul Mescal had, his, had a new version of Carmen coming out in anticipation, I watched 30 different versions that all came from all different corners of the world. There were versions from China, versions from... Multiple countries in Africa. There were versions from all over Europe, the United States, et cetera. And like all had very different, not only takes on different themes and characters, but also ways that they depicted the story. Some of them were musical. Some of them, there's, you know, the Rogers and Hammerstein. Uh, Carmen Jones is an entirely mm-hmm. musical version, just using English words to the songs, basically, and also restaging it to World War. Two, I think it is. And like, there's just all sorts of ways that this story has been adapted and adapted and adapted. And I wrote a piece on the site about why last year's version is the worst one in 148 years of history of adapting this opera. But hey, you know, there's a new staging that the Metropolitan Opera is doing this year that I'm going to spend four plus hours at a movie theater watching the simulcast of in a couple weeks. And I can't wait.
0: I'm excited for you. Honestly, you hype things up in a way that just always gets me on board, regardless of what I thought about the property beforehand.
2: <laughs> and I appreciate that.
1: Oh, and Frankenstein. Right. Yes. Give me a good Frankenstein a, yeah. story. Well, I,
0: I want like one person to come back every 50 years and do a swing at the like actual like book version of it. Like the, yeah. like that. Cause I feel like that's the version that gets touched the least. But I'm like let's just do it like once every 50 years just like to remind everyone. Speaking
2: of
1: Penny Dreadville, I think got the closest to actually exploring oh. some like the moral complexities of the original book, I think.
2: Nice. Speaking of of horror stuff as our resident horror person, how do you feel about the forthcoming Nosferatu or Wolfman movies this year?
1: I'm excited. I will take any and all universal monster things cuz sometimes yeah. like this is the thing they're either the best thing in existence or Tom Cruise's mummy like, yes. and there's there is really no in between like none yep. of them are just mid they are either inspired cult classics that have a seat in the pantheon of monsters or they are aberrations that must be forgotten, but also watched.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, the invisible man, that's actually another good one to point to where that one is fantastic. Phenomenal film took it in a totally new direction from the original. Um, Loved it. Like it was, it was so good. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I'm with Kate where it's like, I'm excited because that movie earned a lot of trust from me, but I know that it also, we are operating without a net and that it could be the mummy. Yeah, any other, any last thoughts before we uh, transition out?
1: If you listen to this podcast and you've actually watched transgressive American films and would like to send it to us for judging, please let us know. Because I would like, one, I would like to watch it. Two, I would also like to know if you were, if this is a space fantasy versus sci-fi thing and (laughs) 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 whether or not it's really transgressive.
2: Yeah, would like to know whether we're just missing something or if you just don't know what transgressive means.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, but yeah, so that does it for this week. Um, I think we just plugged a bunch of media. So are there any articles that you guys want to recommend people read? There's that bluey one. Uh,
1: <laughs> um, I will plug that I will be covering Sundance. Um, I believe I will start covering it the day that this podcast episode comes out. So you should head over to but and check out all of my Sundance coverage coming from the festival. Um, I am very excited because it's my first time on the ground doing this. Um, There's some pretty cool, pretty cool movies
2: there. Uh, Jason, you have anything? My big thing for January has been, I mentioned it earlier, I've been doing a roundup of all of the submissions to this year's Oscars for the best international feature category. Honestly, like no misses. They're they're really, every single Mm -hmm. one of those movies was good. Some of them I thought were like, they're good. Some of them I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, this was great. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, but there was not not a single one of the movies that were in the short list were like bad or things that I would not recommend. Cool. At least someone watch, if not anybody, check out. So the the roundup list will be coming shortly if it's not already out there by the time you're hearing this. And I hope people check out all if not most of those movies when they get a chance a lot of them are already on VOD or currently in theaters Mm -hmm. some of them won't be in theaters until uh, later in January or February but check them out for sure
0: all right Um, now for you listening at home if you liked what you heard today if you want more of it you're in luck because we are all over the internet um, Twitter Instagram youtube twitch discord like anywhere you look you can find us you can especially find us on patreon where if you throw us a few bucks helps keep the site going helps us making the content that you love um and we really appreciate it we want to hear from you reviews retweets uh just tweet at us your recommendations for transgressive american film so that we can can judge it um and as for me you can find me on twitter at most always alex uh kate where can people find you
1: you can find me on Twitter at Oh My Myth Um, and I will say for Sundance, I have been directed to showcase myself freezing outside of movie theaters uh on our but why though Instagram so you can watch me being unbearably cold there.
0: You got you gotta get a full snowsuit.
1: It's in two days. I leave in two okay, days.
0: Yeah, that might be a little <laughs> bit hard. Maybe you can uh, rent Jason. one there. It's Utah. Oh, that yeah rentable snowsuit they have to have that
2: I'm on the Uh, websites (laughs) as flatter underscore you f-l-a-t-t-e-r underscore y-o-u
0: all right Uh, that does it for this week but thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time